0: Listening to the running public
1: from marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast
0: is for you guys. the running public.
2: Let me let's start from the outside. I really want to see this thing did I I love this thing. I was living in an Astro van for a little while, uh, but you can't stand up in those, so I can stand up in this. So this is Thomas. Oh, wow. Got the hangboard. Is that a short we bus? Got the... that's... Is that like between yeah, a short a...
0: bus and a regular bus?
2: Someone called it a tart cart the other day. That was pretty hilarious to me. I hadn't heard that one before. But yeah, it's a shorty. Oh, so like nine... It's like 20 feet long, so it fits in a parking <laughs> spot, which is crucial when you're going in towns. But got the shoes, his, hers. I live here with my uh, my girlfriend. So she's got all her shoes there. Got some hats, the captain's chair, and then let's see, got a heater, bed, we got the essential book rack, we got a candle, boys, this is our first date, so I lit a candle, we got balsam, we got balsam and cedar, I like it. thought that'd be really Classy. nice, and uh, we got yeah. the Christmas lights, well, balsam, balsam and cedar or the candle that, in general, a candle might be needed, how do you expect is... this
0: podcast to end, yeah,
2: second date, and then I'll play you guys a song with the ukulele, wow, <laughs>
0: Well, geographically, where are you right now?
2: Mm, I am in the Hudson Valley in New York. This is where I grew up. I'm actually over at my, my parents' right now just to make sure I could get a good connection. So I've been on Colorado, and uh, my girlfriend went out to Virginia for the Grindstone 100K in September, went up to Pennsylvania for a family reunion uh, in October, and then popped around the Catskills. We had some plans for the Catskills, we were going to do like an FKT, hang out in the area. See family for Thanksgiving and then zoom back to Colorado for Christmas to spend Christmas with her family. So that's the plan. That's what we did last year. Worked out really well. It's a nice little change of scenery.
1: That's the distance nomadic lifestyle right there. Catskills, Colorado. Hitting it all.
2: Dude, I love the Catskills. It's where I cut my, my teeth. It's pretty hilarious because they're just crazy technical, you know, uh, hashtag Beast Coast. And um, my girlfriend from Colorado, she's used to those groomed like mountain bike trails. Mm-hmm. And so last year was pretty, pretty tough for her running on them. And this year, like it finally clicked, which is great for me because I was spending time up there and she just wanted to run roads. But it's been nice actually being able to run up there together her getting her technical skills on. I've been increasing volume
1: recently. There's a point to this, and that is that I've spent a lot more time indoor on a machine in front of the TV. And so I'm just like burning through race videos on YouTube. And I now have this thing where if it's an ultra that I, and I I spend most, I would say like 70% of my race videos I watch are just ultras because they just get an hour, two hours easy on that. If they lace up for the start line of an ultra in a road shoe, I switch to the next video immediately. I have (laughs) no use for watching a trail race where it's so smooth that you can run it in, in road shoes. And it's not nothing against it it just doesn't doesn't move the needle for me when I'm sitting there on the on the erg or the treadmill.
2: I feel the same way. I mean if it's an ultra like if it's shorter then there's some speed component there and it's more enjoyable to watch. Right. But but yeah if it's like uh I broke it example? one time I watched Bandera. Very was a Well I mean that yo hey there's some roots in there. Yeah so anyway Bandera, I, broke the really I don't know about Halloween. Anyway Excellent. By the way, um, I just want to comment Josh. on how clear you sound. The, the microphone clarity is phenomenal, boys. Wow.
0: We've just gotten some comments that uh, my mic glitches when I get excited, and I need to work on it. So I needed a positive uh, to you know offset that that critique I got earlier this week about my mic. Mm, we'll try and stay work. calm. Um, you used to be you used to be in the podcast game, huh? Do you miss those days? I remember you. Back in the OG reinforced running days, which is now, who knows what it is, right? It keeps transforming into whatever <laughs> it feels like. Rammer, but you were a podcaster for a while.
2: Yeah, it was nice. How was Rich, that stint for you? Um, it was. It was nice. I mean, it kind of coincided with the time in my life where I just had some some external stressors going on. I mean, I had I wasn't like full time coaching yet. I had another job that I was doing. And I just wasn't really stoked with where I was at in my life, just had some stressors, and it just felt like a bit much to come on every single week and chat. So, and I wanted to kind of like do the nomadic thing, and so just schedule, it was just a matter of schedule. Rich Mm. is super on the ball, you know, he's a hustler just like you guys, putting out content, podcasts, Mm. getting things together. I'm a little more, phew phew kind of all over the place i have my structure but it's my structure you know it's not uh it's not like this hour we're gonna do this it's like oh ah, I'll, I'll get to this then as long as it gets done within the week or sort of thing mm-hmm. but those we, were good times with rich and i appreciate his hustle you
1: know i tuned in back then I, I i i always say i'm not a podcast guy i don't listen to many but when i see topics or guests that i feel will enrich me i pop in And so I used to hear your stuff and I'm I'm excited to talk to you. And we've wanted to for a long time for many reasons. But one of the reasons is that like, as a coach, we try to be just like, take everything in that you can think of everything, every information you can ever find, discern what's good, get rid of the rest. But we also have a bit of an ego to us. Even if you don't want to be an egotistical coach, like we believe we have a really good way of doing things. And oftentimes I hear other people talk and I think I can do what you do. And there's a gr- there's a subset of coaches that exist in our space that I don't feel that way about. When I hear you, DJ Fox, and a few other people talk about uh, Justin Hamilton, for example, it's generally the ultra distance, and it's often when it's combined with any other modality. And you guys dive so far into areas I never traverse. And if I ever hear an athlete talk about working with a a few of you and you're one of them, it's, I always think, man, I would work them so differently than what he's doing. And I would not be able to guarantee a better result. And so I really like this opportunity to hear Now the whole thing is not going to be about your coaching. We're going to talk all you, but I do also want to get to your running and coaching philosophy because it's so in parts of it are just so different than what I would ever do with an athlete. And I like that.
2: Right on. You know, it's funny, man, because both of you guys have earlier running careers. I know both of you ran, you know, high school and collegiately and speed, right? We're talking about like track and cross country, like fast stuff. And I feel like that gets really ingrained with you in how you... Mm go about with your coaching as you guys continue to mature you're changing but it's like your your fundamentals started with that like with that speed and with that team and when being under a coach you know i did a little bit of cross country but my coach was just kind of like the dad that was there say hey, you go run five miles and then we'd go go run and then some kid would bust out a gatorade bottle of vodka and we'd just hang out at the bleachers and not actually train <laughs> so you know as i've matured i kind of jumped right into the the ultra scene and so i couldn't agree more it's like listening to listening to you guys i don't if if I was to train someone for someone came to me and said, Hey, I want to do, I want to run like my best mile or best 5k. I would totally do it. But in my head, I'm thinking I'm going to pull from stuff that you guys talk about and refer to you guys and how you've done things. Cause you have more experience in that realm. Yeah. And it's the beauty of this. Didn't keep Kirk the, vo- the coaches, ultra athletes, and he's
1: had some pretty successful ones, even in like backyard ultras. And he's never stepped foot mm-hmm. there. I coach some ultra athletes and you coach. I assume many ultra athletes. And if we compared our three training plans, they would look so different. And yet if you compared most high level 5k, 10k guys and girls, they're going to look really, really similar to what they're doing. Cause it's such a fine tuned sport where ultra is just like the wild west of endurance. And I love that. Sorry, Kirk.
0: That's okay. Um, well, I, well, I think we should just set the stage here real quick and then we can dive into that. But like, just so the listeners know, we're ta- is it Joshua or Joshua
2: Reed? <laughs> Jehovah. Oh, that's funny, man. Yeah, so, what is it? J- so, Josh? Uh, I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you the story, boys. Okay. Uh, my birth certificate says okay. Joshua Reed. I've been wondering and-
0: that since I knew you existed. Here
2: it Just is. Just in case man. you're wondering. You're right. I've been
0: wondering since the day I've seen your name. All right.
2: Everybody, buckle up. So it's Joshua Reedinger on my birth certificate. No one ever said my last name right. Never. They never said it, it was Riedinger or, or Riedinger or something. Some Southern German told me it's actually pronounced Riedinger, but like no one's going to say that. All right. So I was like, I'm going to fucking shorten it. Uh, on, on Facebook, I ended up putting in – I don't know. I was just feeling pl- playful one day. Put in Joshua instead of just Joshua, J-O-S-H-U-A. I did J-A space S-H-U-A. And then – came the time where you could now sign up for things using, you know, sign up with Facebook, use your Facebook sign in to register for this race. So I did that for Spartan in 2017 or so. And I remember at the end of the race, it said Joshua Reed on the leaderboard. I thought, Oh, look at that. How funny is that? Not really thinking much about it. And then I just kept signing up for races. That's what it was. People saw that. That's what they came to know. And it Float off the tongue a little bit easier than Joshua Reed, right, Dinger, Dinger, whatever. So here we are. The best. So neither your first
0: name or your last name is real. Really. You're living one big lie over there.
2: It's my uh, it's my pen name or my incognito. He's living his
1: truth, Kirk. Mm. <laughs> the I best know. explanation I heard from someone is that you did it for search engine optimization.
2: That's hilarious. And also, actually, kind of i didn't do it for that but it, dude if you type that in there's nobody else if you type in joshua reedinger there's yeah. many others if you type in joshua reed it's just me baby
1: yeah yeah they're giving you a lot of like f- that you had a lot of forethought going
2: into this <laughs> i'm about to be <laughs> somebody and really i need to come
1: up first on google <laughs>
2: <laughs> it wasn't entirely well, well i think the
0: perk of having a, a stupid name like like bracken uh-huh. or kerr <laughs> is we're one of one when you combine it with our last names, which is really nice. I still think my name sounds like a verb, not a name, and I don't am not okay with that. Really Kirk that But one. Like Josh that kind of thing. I really Kirk yeah, like Kirk's more like a yeah, like way to Kirk Kirk it up or you're a Kirk or whatever. Let's get um, Kirk. Have we ever met I don't think we've ever had a real conversation, let's get Kirk, yeah. Have we ever had a real conversation? <laughs> Josh, I don't think we
2: have in person. I don't think we have, man. I feel like the only time I can really acknowledge seeing you is, I want to say it was West Virginia 2019. You were there running, right? I I was. Yeah, so I I saw you there, and I think think that's the only time I might have seen you. But we didn't chat, I don't think.
0: Yeah, I don't think we – we haven't crossed paths many times, and I don't know a year in Bracken history, but I've always paid a little closer attention to what you do because you – uh, one, have like a non-traditional background in, in a sense where I feel like you found this later, later, you know, subjective. And then two, you're a beefier guy. You carry muscle. And then in recent years, you've been able to move well with that said muscle. And there's some like fist Aww. bumping or chest bumping. I feel like we are due to do because of that, because I kind of pride myself on the same. So I, I want to talk about that today as well, a little bit, maybe. But Bracken, have you guys met before? We Bracken, talk-
2: remember? Do you remember Bracken?
0: I think we talked one time.
2: So so my memory and this is so funny, man, because there was a podcast you guys were doing, maybe it was a, a race brain recap of uh I don't know, Utah the last year. And I think I think it was yeah, Bracken, you said he's shorter and wider than you would think he is. Me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure dude. Yeah, we'll find it. But like but I thought that was hilarious because when I when I saw you, the first time I saw you was at one of the first races I did. And it was a stadium. I don't know if it was City Field or or what, but it was one of the like East Coast big city stadium races, you know, with Vidal and everyone else. It was one of the big, when stadiums weren't stadions and they were still a big mm, deal or whatever. Yeah. And I saw you and I thought, hmm, I recognize him. That's Bracken, and he's taller, and his head is way balder and shinier than I thought it would be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the, the only difference is you had the wherewithal not to just let that fall out of your mouth.
2: If I so that, that's, not
1: that's not great.
2: You were at that race. You were in long-sleeve long shirt. I remember you. Yeah, you actually. How tall are you? What are you six two?
1: Ah, uh, no, uh, to the, to the millimeter, I'm six foot one half inch. One half inch. Just a, a presence to this man. Though, that, that 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 shows
2: six two. <laughs> Mm-hmm. yo too man i was like Shit, dude i can tell you play basketball you know like the shoulders the arms oh my goodness keep going that. yeah you got it man the lebron look
1: well my first real interaction with you outside of like we did the finish line handshake i'm sure i was shivering within 30 seconds there and had to go cover up but our interaction didn't include you it was a it was a deeply Sensual conversation between your stride and my mind. When I was in Tahoe one year, not racing, and I I was out on course watching, and you came off of I want to say Z Wall and went immediately downhill, and I had this introduction to your downhill running, and just had a like salivating type experience at the top of of uh, Squaw Valley there. I j- I was just in yeah, baby. You're welcome. Lusting after your stride, and that was my intro to you as a as an athlete on course. Look at those hams.
2: I do recall this. Okay, yeah, Tahoe. That was twenty. Yeah, that, that was twenty nineteen. Stop. I don't remember. Yeah, we we'll We're just warming up.
1: That's that's not what I remember thinking.
2: Uh uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the tea went down wrong hole there, boys. Oh, it's the ginger, spicy. Yeah, that's. Gosh, that's pretty funny, man. So, all right. So we're very well aware of each other's uh, strides and anatomies. So, <laughs> so, but this is the first time we, that we've actually got an opportunity to like really chat. So I'm, yes. I'm stoked to be here, man. And this has been a long time coming because, yeah, you guys have reached out in the past and it's like, oh, well, uh, I had some stuff going on and then it came out again. And then, uh, and then like Kirk was off on I don't know, some hunting vacation or something or had something going on. So we've kind of, you know, bopped back and forth a few times. Or like the past couple of years. And here yes. we are.
1: Building anticipation.
0: Bracken has talked about getting you on for at least the last year. Like he, are, he always comes back to, I think there's a secret, like, I don't know, photo album of you somewhere under his bed or there's something. I think I think he he's fond of you and you don't know this. Is so my, there's like is a shrine of shoes behind so him. Today and there's is, a
2: shrine of meat in front of him that you can't see.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because <laughs> you're on the screen. Okay, so see. now we can continue down the track, Brack, and you wanted to. I just wanted to set the stage because these are three bros that haven't all brought out together before, so this is a first for us, which is nice. Well, Let's I, I want to get to his now coaching, progress.
1: and I want to get to his running, but I think it's that's reverse order. I think it has to start with his uh, his formation into this because you, in a lot of ways, and I don't know what your relationship is currently like, so I don't want to just keep bringing him up, but I feel like in a lot of ways you and DJ Fox, who we previously had on here, seem to have a similar route to sport, similar but different. Like if you had to group all of OCR and endurance together, you two would be in a certain column that a lot of other people wouldn't be in. So I do want to start with that because I feel like your childhood and athletic experience is just so unique. And then I'm always fascinated by how someone goes from Gatorade bottles of alcohol and, you know, doing more of like, extreme sports or or X Game type style activities gets into becoming a master ultra downhill runner. That intrigues me. So I I want to follow that path a little bit and then
2: get into the weeds. Man, so yeah. No not a master yet, but we're working on there, man. So was a question, like what's my what's my history or yeah, pick up like beginning what's my relationship sport. with like DJ.
1: Okay. No 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 I'm just saying like I, I don't want to apply too much of him to you, but like you guys just have some commonalities in your upbringing and finding running and, and and i want to explore that a bit not now he's done we don't have to say him ever again ever.
2: all right shout out to dj okay
1: but so, but yeah yeah you're elementary middle school whenever starting sport progresses up to first endurance race
2: good i'm gonna try and uh reference so i was actually thinking about this like in anticipation of talking to you guys so i put up a i mean instagram post like who am i the other day i read it it's so, All right. All right. So I went down in the comments and finished all of it. All right. Low hanging fruit. Here we go. So let's see if I can remember all of those kind of like key points. I, uh, I don't really remember much of my childhood, whether that's because that's like a a normal thing. Most people seem to remember when they were like three, five, seven years old. I don't really remember any of that. Maybe it's from concussions. I've had my fair share of them with BMX. So uh, yeah. Intro to BMX. I was nine years old. My parents got me a chin-up bar. I remember that. I couldn't do any pull-ups. I just swung on it. That was awesome. Uh, and it was one of the ones that was like screwed into the door so you couldn't swing it off the door handle. I don't know if you guys have ever done that. I have the one. Oh, yeah. I've used the one where you can put mm-hmm. it in the door, just like hook it. And then you go and do some like beastly gorilla pull-ups and it, and it just unattaches and you fall to the floor with it. So before those times, I had one that was actually pretty secure. And my parents also bought me a BMX bike. I don't remember how I got into BMX. I think I had a cousin that raced and maybe he recommended it. Uh, but some that uh, eventually I ended up at a BMX track and I think VJ uh, Jones did BMX too, but mm-hmm. we, I, uh, I ended up racing BMX from nine until 14 and then crashed out. I had a, so like the gate drops, you go over uh, a couple of doubles, a triple into like the first turn. I went over the triple, went to clear it. And my back tire, I was just like a little short or like it just happened so quick. My back tire like flipped me, bounced, clipped and flipped me over. And uh, I just remember like opening my eyes and someone was on, like standing over me like, you okay? So knocked myself out, hurt my shoulder for the first of like many times to come. <laughs> and uh and I've always been, like, scared of hospitals. I don't know why, but my mom wanted to take me to the hospital. I said, no, I'm fine. I'm, like, trying to pretend that I'm, like, totally okay, even though my shoulder feels absolutely horrendous. So so started out with BMX, and that was just, like, crazy anaerobic. I mean, have you guys ever watched a BMX race?
1: Yeah. yeah. They're
2: intense, man. I mean, they're between 30 and 60 seconds, depending on the track. And it is just, like, pedal max power, pump i pushed through some turns and then through the finish so pretty like pretty anaerobic and powerful which is uh i'm really thankful that i did that honestly that was probably like the best thing that i probably could have done for my athleticism because i never did any team sports Hmm. just suck at team sports guys like i was the opposite of gym class hero volleyball in school handball any of that crap totally sucked at it absolutely sucked at it so is that where those quads came from, or do you think you would have
0: had those either way,
2: dude? It's so interesting, man. <laughs> the uh, that's a that's a great question. That's definitely where my I think my upper body strength, like originally came from. The uh, like like when you do hammer curls, you know that specific part of your bicep and forearm that really gets burnt out. You work that so hard in BMX and like motocross. You're just in that position with your arms kind of flexed, and just between like the the pumping and pulling, that should get super strong. So I definitely give some of my grip strength, and like pull strength, to some of that, and quad strength too, I guess. But dude, I can't. I'm not a good squatter. I just uh, I did Alec Blenis's lunge challenge uh, this, mm-hmm. this past couple weeks, and I lunged as much as I have ever squatted which is crazy. So I don't know if it's a mechanical issue, but whatever. So can so yeah, I ask I you feel... in the
0: weeds question actually sure, right man. away then before we move on from BMX? Um, I actually am very curious as to how one trains for BMX racing. Um, when I've watched it to your, to what you'd said, like the pedals are moving so fast, you can't see the athlete's feet or legs it's just a blur of movement right that's how hard you're pedaling and is it all skill work is that mostly like you're not tra- training engine or systems it's just go hit the moguls go hit the track what is that what was that like
2: or you just show up so on I had, and yeah i just kind of showed up and did that. i rode my bike everywhere uh, i was pretty fortunate to grow up in a neighborhood with uh, a bunch of uh guys my age so we would go out and ride bikes all the time you know doing wheelies hitting little jumps and kicking trash cans and, and whatnot but i never really trained for anything and man i wish i did i think i think you know this the hit the story of like the the young kid whose parents pushed them to train for their sport and then they're burnt out by the time they're in college or right out of college
0: mm-hmm.
2: maybe it's a blessing that i didn't get mm-hmm. pushed to actually train in my younger years uh but you know what would have happened if i did get trained i i just went and showed up and rode you know, I just showed up and and rode, but gosh, yeah, I mean, it is it's definitely skill and and in power and endurance, man. They're like it's even though it's only sixty seconds, I mean, think about it. People that are doing the four hundred, what does their training look like? Like it's a combination of sprints and some longer distance stuff. Yeah, it's not as aerobic as the, the like the eight hundred plus, but there's still some endurance work that you want to do in there. Uh, so training for BMX max power, you're probably training like a like a track cyclist. You just need to be able to put crazy Watts down right out of the gate. So like slow grinding, hard push, and then be able to handle that super high cadence stuff and then skill. Yeah. And then skill and chimpanzee nuts. You Mm got to like have the balls to send it for sure. (laughs) All right. I'm satisfied with that. Okay.
1: Watching that in the last Olympics, the version that they have in there was wild to me because it, it was no different than watching Like the body type, like morphology and just like cadence of an Olympic sprinter or a track cyclist, like you said, or that, uh, you know, a a sprint swimmer is just, these are the fastest of the fast twitch that ever found a bike and skating and biking at my school was not an athletic event. It was just like a gateway to prison. And that (laughs) it's so strange to think that there are places of the country that dynamic explosive athletes
2: pass through that portal.
1: But they were like the top end is so outrageously explosive
2: and powerful. I think it's so cool how biking and whether it's like racing BMX, street BMX and skateboarding, all that's in the Olympics now. And those people train like Olympic athletes. They're in the Mm -hmm. gym doing heavy squats, doing their doing plyometrics like it is it's extremely legit and yeah you have to treat it like a serious sport to be at the the top end now whereas before it was just grab your bike and maybe have some good genetics and yeah you you win the local race that day mm-hmm. so pick so, up then from uh you yeah, stopped yeah.
0: bmx and you're 14 you crashed out obviously rattled your cage a little bit you're like maybe i'll move on from that. And is that what happened
2: yeah basically so it was was pretty coincidental or maybe serendipitous uh the day that i i crashed out i remember sitting on the bleacher just kind of holding my arm before leaving and this older kid got a bad start out of the gate and so he didn't even try to push it he saved his mojo for another heat and so he just kind of like cruised around the turn and he did a like a 360 in the turn it was the first time i saw a trick in person and thought holy shit that was so cool and uh and then he, he like came across the line i was like what kind of bike are you on what shoes were you wearing i was just how did you what were all the components out of this thing i just watched and so i got home got on uh got on like dance comp which was the 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 bike website and just started looking at other bike parts and stuff and i was like when i come back i'm going to i'm doing street i'm not racing anymore that's what i want to do i want to do tricks so got a trick bike And which is basically everyone, I still have it to this day, or well, everyone and I I built it up and everyone (laughs) says like, what are you doing on a kid's bike? Which is always humorous to me because it is a rather small bike, but it's just made of beefy chromoly. So you can like jump off a two story tall building and it'll, it'll survive under, uh, under my beefy weight. But yeah, just whipping, whipping that thing around, which, you know, nothing lasts more than. Maybe you do a line, you know, which is a series of tricks. You do a trick, you land, you cruise something else, string a couple things together. We call that a line. Maybe that maybe that lasts 30 seconds max. So it's just super anaerobic, really powerful, really plyometric. I just kind of bopped around doing that. And uh, I think at... I think at 17, I started smoking cigarettes, but the cigarettes don't really affect you that much on the bike when you're only doing 20 second sprints, you know, it's over before you really got a huff and puff. So it was just cigarettes and pizza and Arnold Palmer, iced teas, BMX, and basically every single day. But I didn't run it this time. It was just, it was just biking. And so I, I like acquired this kind of like hunched over like gorilla sort of posture. Actually, it was kind of funny. Uh, when I was in Tahoe, Let's see. In like when I dislocated my shoulder, or uh, we hanging out like having some margaritas and whatnot. And Nicole Miracle was like, "You boulder?" Or like she like called me out on like being a climber, just because I was all kind of like internally rotated at the arms and kind of like rolled over a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's just, uh, yeah, you just like your shoulders and your biceps are all kind of c- curled in together. So it's funny that I took on took on that posture from biking, but but kind of before all that or not before that like kind of intermixed with that so that's like the biking story but i did run cross country in middle school like eighth yeah seventh eighth grade that was before the vodka we were you know we weren't that bad but there was uh, it's kind of hilarious dude. I got it. You guys left the picture. It's me and a bunch of shorties. We're all I don't know, like four and a half feet tall. And then there's this one kid that's like five foot nine in eighth grade, and he's the dude that just had like a mustache. It <laughs> was like fully mature. He was running uh, uh, yeah, he was running you know sub nine mile and a half while the rest of us were running like ten pluses because I think it was a mile and a half or whatever in, in middle school. But yeah, I ran, but I didn't train. You know, I I wasn't mm-hmm. super fast. I think my fastest mile at that time was uh, probably just a pinch under seven and didn't get much faster got into high school where we were doing pretty sure it was 5k's then and yeah I mean if I I placed I was lucky you know 5th on the team our team was pretty badass so we were we would sweep top 5 because we had some pretty uh, fast kids up at the top but but I just did that from 7th grade to 10th before just not really enjoying it I just didn't really really care about it anymore I just wanted to go you know ride my BMX bike and (laughs) go jump curbs and whatnot with my friends so hmm. what kind of so that's the run to you story. have me
0: curious as to what kind of student you were i don't know why uh, i never asked any of our guests this but now i gotta hear what kind of student you were
2: yeah you can probably guess so it's it's actually really funny so i actually ran into my uh, uh vice principal from when i was in high school the other day and uh she gave me she gave me a big hug she was super cool and uh she was telling my girlfriend how like how terrible I was in school, like how much of a pain in the ass I was and how many times I went to her office, but that I wasn't a bad kid. I was just annoying. I was, I would do these, I would always, uh, if I got like a a answer right in class, I'd get out of my desk and like jump on top of it or run to the front of the classroom and like breakdance on the floor of talking accents. I was just, uh, I just liked attention and I just liked being the funny guy. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't an asshole and it wasn't like doing bad things. I wasn't doing drugs in high school, but uh, yeah, I was just, I was kind of a menace as far as taking attention away from the teacher goes and just breaking up students focus. So I ended <laughs> up down there quite a bit. I, I passed, <laughs> I graduated, you know, there's barely, barely scraped by there. But I had a teacher who, uh, Mr. Nero, my hero, man, greatest dude. He, uh, he could have failed me, but he passed me. He told me, he was like, dude, I'm going to, I'm going to pass you because you need this class to pass. And I know that you, uh, being a good student in this school is isn't what you're meant to be. You're going to do good things out of school. And God, man, that meant so much to me that he passed me. And, you know, and I graduated school and feel like I'm doing all right now, you know? So <laughs> appreciate him, you know, seeing that, having that faith in me.
1: Those stories never get old. I heard it the first time my dad had his teach, his guidance counselor, change his grades, like across the board so that he could accept his scholarship to go to college. And then he went on and eventually founded a school. Like, it is those those people that like see something in you that you can't yet? They they just see like this is that raw whatever that I'm seeing, and it may not get unearthed here or next decade, but it's the way he said it. I love that. Like, you, what you're meant to do isn't here, but it's out there. I really like when people just pull strings because they have faith.
2: Yeah, man, I definitely appreciate those teachers because. I don't think, uh, you know, I don't know if I would have been able to to see that. Well, you know, I don't. I think that being a teacher is like such a, it's such an important job, and for someone to be able to have that capacity to like pay attention to each student and not just go to it like it's a job, but like it's a passion, right? Because that's the difference that makes between someone just doing the thing and them actually being great at the thing. So, so yeah, bless, bless that dude. And you know what? It's I get so inspired when I look at people who find success later in life, right? There's so many, there's so many examples, right? Whether it's like Morgan Freeman or whoever, who 40, 50, 60 years old, they find their thing and they become one of the, you know, world world known for it. You know, I mean, obviously for athletics, we got to do things a little bit earlier, but in terms of success of like something, it's, it's, it could be ahead of you. Mm
0: -hmm. Your teacher probably said, this kid has so much energy and if he just puts it towards the right thing, he's going to make a difference and let's just roll the dice and hope he puts it towards a good thing instead of a bad thing. Maybe
2: that was it. I think it was something like that. I think it was something like that. So yeah, I so, was a so- very mediocre student and, uh, and a mediocre cross country athlete and a decent BMXer. But the I'm trying to speed up the story. It's like, I went to, I went to college for a couple months. Didn't feel like I wanted to be there. I actually went to college for exercise wellness of all the classes that I was going to take, literally only one of them was for exercise and wellness. Everything else was, you know, English and uh, mathematics. I'm like, okay, I just got out of high school. What the hell do I want to go do in all lab for? I want to go learn about exercise and wellness. That's I'm not going to wait, you know, another year until you give me three classes on the subject. I want all of it now. So I left school. Uh, I didn't really know what I wanted to do at that time. I was kind of starting to study exercise and wellness, and I'm trying. I think I was just getting into uh, lifting because I wanted to be broad like, right. I wanted to like have some biceps and chest. I want to have the beach muscles and whatnot. So I wasn't really training, but I was interested in hypertrophy and whatnot. So I started studying on just weightlifting. And uh, then I kind of, I kind of took a few steps back by getting a job as a cable guy at a cable company, which was honestly one of the best things I've ever done in my entire life. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. My cousin reaches out to say, hey, we got a spot at this cable company. So at 19 years old, I go, I go in and Everyone's like, you know, 30, 40 years old, 50 years old, dudes that are just going to work, talking crap about their their wives and whatnot, and uh, just just grumps. And I watched a bunch of Jamaicans. They were freaking hilarious. But that job, I mean, one, it paid bills pretty good. I had like a truck and a gas car. It was a big boy job. It was a career. And I thought, oh my God, this is what people do for their life. Like they'll be in this for decades. And I thought to myself, is this my career now? Is this where, like, did I just land and what I'm going to do forever? So that was kind of a weird thought but i ended up traveling uh around the northeast i'd go into you know like a dozen houses a day which was just awesome for observing humanity and just seeing all the different ways there are to like live a life and intimately because when you're a cable guy people point to the television and then they kind of forget you're there and so they go about their normal Lives of whatever. I mean, I've gone to places where, uh, you know, people are like smoking weed. There's there's guns on the table because I've gone to like some hard areas and uh, and people are like trying to steal stuff out of my truck and like there's, uh, drug dealers and like prostitutes on the street and it's like, wow, dude, this world is pretty bananas. So, really glad that I got to observe all of that. And then the cable. The, the cable unit that I was working for ended up shutting down because they got bidded out by some people that would well yeah work for uh work for cheaper and so then I was in limbo again I'm like oh my god what am I doing okay I got out of that career I guess that's a good thing and then uh, a buddy reached out to me just like another form of serendipity it's just like my whole life has been so serendipitous uh my buddy reaches out and says yeah I got a job in California for you I'm like oh travel never been to the west coast what is this door to door sales? Hell yeah. I feel charismatic. I can, uh, I can talk to people, whatever Oh, pest control. I can sell that. Perfect. Go out there. You know, the, the, the boss is, uh, is super stoked to have me. He's given us the pitches on how to sell stuff. It's like Wolf of Wall Street, man. Like it doesn't matter what the, what the person is you're trying to sell to, you sell to them, you sell yourself, you sell to them, you make the sale, you make the money. That's, that's just what you do. Period. Okay. It's not it's not for the, the well-being of the person that you're selling to, actually. So after realizing that I had a pretty big moral issue with it. And I ended up wondering to myself, like, what the hell am I gonna do? And my buddy had hiked before. I had never really hiked or gone to the mountains at this point. I'm 21 now. And I've never really I did like cross-country for a little bit, but I never went into the woods to do anything outside of like running a cross-country race. So he says that he's hiked before he's gone on the Pacific Crest Trail, which is kind of right around the corner. So this job was in Folsom, which is right by Sacramento. And this guy is talking about the Pacific Crest Trail, which is actually only a couple hundred miles away. We can basically hitch to it. So I think, ah, that sounds okay. I think like, I don't know, man, I'm a little nervous about it. So we end up we ended up meeting this guy who uh, i don't know why we trusted him but he took us up to he took us up to mount shasta which is a, like a volcano uh and a, a town with a volcano up in northern california and it was for a total solar eclipse okay so we get up there in the neighboring town it's called weed california go figure <laughs> and we're in weed california looking at this Volcano in the total solar eclipse, and uh, I was just staring at the mountain. Like something came over me, man. I don't know what happened, uh, but something like huge changed in me looking at that mountain. And I thought I have to climb it. And. And so I started asking people about that mountain and, and they said, yeah, people do that kind of thing. Like, yeah, they climb, they mountaineer. You can, you know, go to a store and rent things. And I'm learning like all this for the first time. I'm 21. I didn't know that mountaineering was really a thing. Just all of this shit was never on my radar. And then I realized that it is. And the excitement was just through the freaking roof. So me and my buddy, we save up as much money as we can with our sales. Go to an REI garage sale. It's the best thing ever. Bought. A couple hundred dollars worth of gear honestly too much gear like oh that tripod chair that goes on the backpack i'll carry it's only three pounds what's three pounds that all adds up real quick and uh, we go up to shasta and end up climbing this thing and it's fourteen thousand feet man and after that i said like this is what i'm gonna fucking do for the rest of my life this is this is incredible that feeling of being up there where it's just totally silent and the only thing uh, non-human up there is a raven coasting silently, uh, and it is just like the most freeing, the most freeing, peaceful, rewarding feeling. And all I could think of was, I need more of this. We got ended up getting down the mountain and spent the next three months on the Pacific Crest Trail hiking every day with packs that were way too heavy because we had no idea what we were doing. And after that, I started actually training. Like I need to, I need to do this. So you started training to get up the mountain better. Yeah. Yeah. I still wasn't even really running. I was just hiking with uh, a backpack, you know, uh-huh. and starting to do more like stuff. Cause I was, I was one of those typical uh, uh, like high school kids where you go into the gym wearing jeans and you just work your upper body. I didn't do any lower body stuff. Like my legs were strong, man. Like I did BMX, <laughs> but they were only good at BMX. I guess they weren't actually very capable legs. So yeah actually started training uh after that and then I uh, and I'm, i know i'm still like rambling you guys can jump at any time but i probably i went to the john Muir trail my friend the next year to go back on the on the pacific crest trail the john mirror trail is a, a 223 mile section of the pacific crest trail which is the most beautiful trail i've ever been on good luck getting a permit because everyone knows it's the most beautiful trail in the world now so it is really hard to get on <laughs> uh, really heavily regulated but that's in the high sierra of california and it was just Absolutely epic! You're above ten thousand feet basically the entire time. If you do twenty miles a day, you go over a pass like over twelve, thirteen thousand feet every single day. It is—I mean—you're like in the sound of music, man. You're like dancing around with your arms out. There's flowers everywhere, little pikas and marmots and stuff. it's Excellent. So, believe it or not, i was still smoking cigarettes at this time. Uh, it's just like the hardest I, thing to quit, guys. I have two questions. It's the freaking hardest thing to quit.
0: Two, two questions, real quick on this. um one, you said, oh, we could just hitch up there. That you hitchhike often in your day? Question number one. Because I picked up a hitchhiker once when I was seven years old with my dad. Um, or I, I, We were walking. I stuck my thumb out. I saw it in a movie. The guy picked us up. My dad was mad at me. Anyway, so hitchhiking, I was out of curiosity. And then um, and then, two, did you quit your job to do all this stuff?
2: So, all right. Uh, so, both of
0: And then we can move on. Yes.
2: So, I was nervous. I was nervous hitchhiking and but my buddy had done it before so i kind of had that little bit of confidence being with somebody i could fall back on like okay they've done it that makes me more comfortable and like we're together so it's like the two of us so you know something happened we could uh, rely on each other so so yeah we were hitching a bunch back then because we didn't have a car out there we flew out to california and Mm -hmm. what's really nice is when there's a town near the trail it's just commonplace because there are thousands of people on this trail every year so the locals are very familiar with People trying to get from a trailhead to go into town to resupply, like to, whether to go to a grocery store or a post office. So it was actually mm. most of those people that picked us up had picked up dozens, if not hundreds of people before. Mm. And so they were super comfortable. Do, and yeah. Do you think people should pick up hitchhikers? I saw a uh, hitchhiker
0: this weekend on a county road at dusk with a bunch of stuff, single dude, 15 miles out of the city, and I drove right by him. And I felt bad. These are you look like you needed <laughs>
2: – yeah. Do you, should you pick up a hitchhiker? You know what? I uh, I don't, and I'll tell you why, okay? Number one, okay. I'm with my, my girlfriend, okay? And we don't actually have a seat in the back of the bus. It's kind of just a bench, you know? Uh, so someone would just be kind of like floating back here. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in here. The person's not – if I was to pick up somebody, I would want to have them be like in my passenger seat. You know, and I would want to have like feeling like I have really good control of the situation, good visual on them at all times, because you never know. I would love to trust people, but I would want to be able to, to see that person. But also just having someone in the back here, you know, I'm going to be like, oh, take your shoes off. You got all your dirty stuff. Uh, I'm like, I'm like kind of a. I wasn't asking constantly. about you specifically, <laughs>
0: like our list, our listeners being a being a hitchhiker in the past, you know, like, should our listeners pick up
2: hitchhikers? Should I have picked up that hitchhiker? Yeah. <sighs> Safe, in mean, it the safe answers, no. The the safe answer okay. is always no, man. Uh, is I okay. hate to say that Just because wondering. you know I, I relied on, but it depends. I mean, if you're, it depends on where you are. I mean, if it's someone with a, a backpack, you know, and they got a big smile on their face, and you're right next to a trail, you can probably I would pick that person up. I can be pretty darn comfortable that that person, you know, what hmm. they're doing. But if you're on the if you're in like many miles away from anywhere, and it's really dark out, and the person has like you know a hood pulled over their, their head. And uh, and like no luggage or anything, that's a little more sus to me. Okay, sorry, I don't mean don't to do det- that. detract, but I was just curious. All right, uh, and part number two. Okay, so I uh, how much stuff do I want to <laughs> say on this podcast? I uh, so I've done some I've done some naughty things in my day. Uh, I I uh, when when my my buddy and I we went on the Pacific Crest Trail. We ended up, uh, we made some money, you know, with the job that we were doing. But we also, uh, we also made some money, you know, in some different ways. Uh, at that time, you know, California had a lot of uh, a lot of greenery that was being grown, you know, and uh, and there was a lot of people that were interested in that. So there was, uh, we made we made a transaction. We kind of hooked up some friends. We weren't, we were, uh, what's the word? Uh, we kind of, uh, I mediated or, or helped connect a couple of people and that ended up putting some money in our pockets that allowed us to go do go buy a bunch of gear at rei and then have enough money to go into towns and buy groceries you know uh, on a weekly basis it's
0: probably exactly what your high school teacher envisioned when he passed you that day he was like this so, guy's going to be an entrepreneur i can just
2: do that the class was entrepreneurship man business and entrepreneurship <laughs> that's too funny. And in high school I used to I used to sell monsters. Monster energy. I was always falling asleep and I drank Monster energy all the time and so I ended up filling up a friend's locker and my rent to him was one monster a day. And I would, he would take a monster. That was his cut. And then I filled up his locker with hundreds of cans of monster energy. And I would fill them up, my backpack up every morning, walk through the school and like sell them to my regulars. And then after doing that for several months, the school found out and they're like, you can't do that anymore because you're not funding anything for the school. So, so yeah, man, the entrepreneurship (laughs) is, uh, is there. (laughs) So so, anyways, finish, finish off the story and we'll we, bring you guys We need to the get present.
0: this on track. This is, we which, need to get to the good was stuff, that? I think. That's my was that fault, answer? totally. <laughs> <laughs> that was his. So, yeah, he was it. working on the trail.
2: That was the question. Was, the yeah. answer was he was yeah, yeah. sort of
0: under the radar.
2: Gotcha. Indubitably. Indubitably, indeed. So, So, yeah, we finished that up. I, 25 years old, quit smoking cigarettes, finally using like a bag of Jolly Ranchers uh, just because I like need like the oral fixation or something. I just, uh, yeah, man, Mm -hmm. cigarettes, it really got me. It was so difficult to to get away from. And then I ended up getting Lyme's disease in my early 20s. And that made it so that that kind of sparked me looking not just into like how to build muscle, like hypertrophy and stuff. I actually started looking into actual health and inflammation. And I ended up stumbling upon... I started listening to like Joe Rogan podcast and I I stumbled upon Mark Sisson, who at the time, he was kind of like the, I don't know if you'd call him like the godfather of paleo, but he definitely kind of branched out and started the primal movement. So primal health. And I ended up looking into his primal health uh, coaching certification and felt like that was something that I was really interested in. Ended up studying that and that was really useful for me. And then, and I realized, okay, I can, I can take this and teach it to people and like coach people through all of these, uh, all of these points and, and methods and make money off that. And I thought, okay, that seems like, that seems like a fun thing to do. It's good for other people and it's going to give me freedom. So I started leaning into that more and just ended up studying more and studying more. And by the time I was 26 or 27, I had quit cigarettes. I had been studying health and nutrition and, uh, you know, I got my NASA national Academy of sports medication or sports medicine. You're pretty standard, you know, physical trainer, sort of studied that and started training people in the gym. And then, and then, yeah, I was 27, found Spartan, got some jobs in some other gyms. And I think you guys kind of know most of the story from that point on. So what year of life would you say you started running as a runner? I was 20, 25, 25 is when I quit cigarettes and I needed to actually replace cigarettes with something that made it really tangible. What was happening to my body? Cause uh, you can just stop smoking, but unless you actually go around and, like huff and puff in some way, I-, I like endurance, you know, activity, you don't really notice the difference too much, but by when I quit, by going to actually run, I could feel over the matter of uh, course of weeks, my lungs. Clearing out and everything functioning better. It's like, oh, sick. This is awesome. You know, I can only run like 12 miles a week because I kept blowing my calves up because I just like got minimal issues and went all in on the whole primal thing. But all mm-hmm. in all, it ended up working out pretty good. And I was I was training. I would say I was training at 25. I okay. had structure. I cared. And I uh, yeah, I was like working towards being a better athlete. And the thing that kind of started the whole athlete thing, my training, because I didn't even know about Spartan when I was 25. What I did know was that in the Catskills, there was a trail called Devil's Path, which is 23 miles, like 8,000 feet of climbing. And I was out there one day, some guy came running down the the mountain, I mean... Dude, blasting down this technical trail. I thought, holy shit, dude, that is crazy. How long are you running today? I said, oh, 20 miles, super casually. You know, it wasn't even breathing heavy. And I thought, that's bananas. That's when I went from a hiker and a BMXer to I'm going to be a runner. Mm-hmm. And so I had that trail on my radar. I was like, I wanted to run that trail as fast as possible. I found, like, the fastest known time site. Looked up all these trails in the area. Saw Ben Nephew, this local legend, who mm-hmm. had more FKTs than anybody in the world. You know Ben. Yeah.
1: I met him on course in Killington.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's a squirrely he's a dude. I bet that was fun. He was uh, one yeah, of the three to...
1: people who taught me how
2: to run downhill. Dude, he's, yeah, he's, he was the best downhiller in the area for the longest time.
1: It was my first descent on my first mountain ever in 2012 in Killington. I trained on a ski hill that was 200 feet high. And I got to the top and started descending Killington. I was like, this is as fast as a human being can safely run. And Ben Nephew and Marco Bedard started like, I heard sound behind me. I looked there a hundred meters behind me and then they were past me and I was like, what? Like, I'm sure the same thing you saw, you know, that day on the, on the mountain I was like, what is this? And then the rest of the day was like a on the job tutorial of this is how you <laughs> pick a line. This is how you lean into a mountain. Just watching Ben Nephew for like 90 minutes in Killington that day. That was my intro to mountain running. He's a monster,
2: dude. That's yeah. He is yeah. He is definitely the legend of uh, technical downhilling in this area, and it's so cool to me how he. So if you read FKT like reports on the things that he did in the area, people said, "I can't imagine anyone ever going faster than this." This time is crazy. We're talking about the Pemi Loop, the Prezi Traverse, all of these big premier routes in the Northeast, and and people are writing about it like they'll never get beat. This is the best thing we've ever seen in our life. Now they're getting smoked. All of his times are being blown away. People are running running that those routes in 80% of the time that he ran it in. Mm -hmm. And it's so cool to see the thresholds keep getting pushed and keep getting pushed. Everything that, you know, it's like the four minute miles like how could one even go faster? And now people are doing what? Three, you know, high three thirties? So so that, that was really cool. That's cool that you know Ben. But yeah, I saw that route. Although Ben doesn't know me. I guarantee that. Ben <laughs> <laughs> really? You bald boys don't know each other? I am surprised. I that's a, like a, a group
1: I was hanging there. on by a thread at the time. I don't know if it resonated with him.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, You weren't there. He's like, I'll give you a few more years. Because yeah.
1: he's, he's older. I, I was probably 25. <laughs> and he was probably 35 at the
2: time. He's, he's still a model for how to... Yeah, the fact that he was blazing trails like that at that age. That's sweet. It's nice to know, yeah, it's nice to know that we, uh, you know, we still have it in in later years. So but you yeah, found the FKT ran, site research. I found the FKT site. Yeah, researched it. That became like a six year project that I ended up completing when I was yeah thirty. I think I got that. So maybe I discovered the trail when I was twenty four. But yeah, dude, that that like six year project fueled my training. Hmm. Six
1: years to I set a
2: random an FKT. Hmm. That's
1: Random it. FKT? No, <laughs> I said you 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 had a six-year project to set a FKT. Yeah,
0: that's an intense build, for sure. <laughs> I don't want to tangent too much, but that's what we do. Man. I went to get to this today, and you brought it up. Well, right, but we we also need to get to the coaching philosophy here. Um, but I wanted to ask about you getting Lyme disease because you brought it up when I've heard you on other things before, and. You kind of rolled over it, but I have a feeling that was one of the pivot points in your life where it changed your trajectory, where you had to self-help, so to speak, and that's what started you on your learning journey with healing, we'll call it, right? That sent you down a different path. And although getting sick is certainly a curse, it can also be a blessing. I've been through it myself. Then I went to naturopathic school and studied for three years and learned about homeopathics, herbology, natural medicine, supplementation, cleansing, all that voodoo. Witchcraft. But- Witchcraft. But point being what I actually just want to ask you is one, have you been the same since? Or do you think it still has affected you? Because I've gotten Lyme disease myself. And then two, um, do you think you'd even would it would your trajectory have changed, do you think, or not been this way if you didn't have to go down that route of like self help health discovery? Some heavy stuff.
2: Yes. It actually it actually is pretty heavy, dude. I've I've definitely cried about Mm -hmm. it many times in my in my life uh, for multiple reasons, both happy and and sad. Um, Answer number Mm -hmm. one, definitely changed my trajectory. I would not be who I am today. If I didn't get Lyme disease, I would not have gotten into health the way that I did. And I probably wouldn't have the Mm -hmm. uh, determination that it gave me because when I got that, it's like, for some people, it's kind of like a, a life sentence. It's, it can really, really, really mess with people and take them kind of like ruin their life, you know, uh, depending on how badly it manifests mm-hmm. in their brain and the, you know, the brain function in their body. I got the, I got the fatigue. I got the eggs, the, 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 uh, the, yeah, the fatigue, the, in my body, I got the brain fog, uh, the achiness in my, in my body. And, uh, mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was at first. I actually do. This is so funny. I, when I first got it, I was just so tired and I thought, man, do I have mono, you know? And, uh, Mm-hmm. Because like, you know, the fatigue symptoms were kind of similar. And I looked up, like, how does mononucleosis uh, uh, proliferate or how, like, like, how do you battle that? And something I read on Google said, you know, don't have sugar. So I went to the local grocery store and just got a can of tuna. I was like, all right, I'm, I don't eat sugar anymore. And I just ate this dry ass can of tuna. I was like, that's <laughs> it, man. First step. You did it. You're on the path to health. <laughs> so i was exhausted that day uh, because it turned out you kind of you know that's a it's a big jump to just like hop right into freaking keto but i ended up
1: sardines at the time
2: i didn't know about sardines man or mayonnaise god i should put some mayonnaise on that stuff man mayonnaise pepper salt now we're talking but but yeah so i thought that's what i thought it was at the time and uh, i didn't actually know what it was i didn't get tested i was probably facing that fatigue for some months before i finally got checked out because like i said when i hurt my shoulder and knocked myself out uh, during BMX, I didn't want to go to the doctor. I just never wanted to go to the doctor. I'm like, no, I can, I'll figure it out. It's fine. I don't need to go. I don't know why I was scared of the doctor. I don't know if something uh, happened where I, I just like, cre- created some fear about it. I uh, that I don't remember, but I wanted to take care of it. My myself and so i remember trying to work i was working for a contractor at the time like splitting wood and whatnot and dude just grabbing a piece of wood to stack it was almost impossible i was blown away by how tired i was and i couldn't figure out why i'm like is it the cigarettes or i thought i'm sleeping good like what's going on but it uh yeah it ended up getting to the point where it was kind of insufferable so i got checked um i had already started to kind of cut out sugar just because some part of like for some reason that felt intuitively right to do. Got on doxycycline after I found out about it. And that was Mm -hmm. terrible. Um, you know, like the sun burnt my skin, just like everything was kind of sensitive. And then after doing two weeks of that, got off that, but I had been kind of reading up on keto and dude, I just dove, I dove right into ketosis. You know, this is like the time where I saw the primal health coaching thing. I found out about ketosis and yeah, dove right into it. And I ended up going into deep ketosis for a little over a year by basically just say like lamb and, and meat and whatnot. So, and the theory behind that
0: for anybody listening would be, and I think the Lyme disease thing is just worth, is worth talking about because like we have so many trail runners that listen and I think like people should be more aware of this sort of thing, to be honest with you. It, it, and so I think it's just worth like a second to talk about. Right. But like then like, Yeah. The inflammation piece, but then also like you have these little monsters, these little cysts and embryos in you that these ticks end up, they just multiply spirochetes and these which produce neurotoxins and then your brain doesn't work right. But like if you feed them a lot of simple sugars, it's a very good fuel for these little monsters inside of you. And so, so assuming what path you got on to go keto, to not feed the frenzy, so to speak, and that could in itself make you feel better, but I'm just assuming just so I'm assuming that was your logic. I'm sure some of the listeners were like, why would that doesn't make sense to me, but I'm pretty sure that's where you were tracking.
2: Yeah, so I I decided to do ketosis because I wanted to get a control over this the autoimmune disorder, right? So like your immune system's kind of just going haywire, trying to attack these things, and it can't quite attack. It's just kind of chasing them around your body. And that can lead to systemic inflammation. Which just leads to yeah achy joints and like a cloudy head and make your immune system just isn't functioning super well so maybe you get sick easier so I wanted to uh, I felt like that was a good tool to attack this because I didn't really know anything else at the uh, at the time although I did find out about like Wim Hof and cold showers and more ways to attack inflammation so the whole health journey actually started out with like biohacking with like dietary stuff and, uh, and modifying my environment and doing all these little things to attack inflammation. That's, that was kind of the start of the whole health health thing. But it's so interesting. Man, when you ask about my, like how did it affect my, my trajectory? I remember thinking to myself in my life, cause I used the word serendipity a couple times already uh, talking to you guys. And I feel like I've had a lot of great things happen in my life that I just feel like I was in the right place at the right time. And maybe that's a mindset thing. Maybe it really was just great, fortunate things. Uh, but I remember uh, doing some work one day, and I was tired walking around. Like I said, like just grabbing a log and and stacking it for firewood. I was so tired, and I thought, why? Why is this happening to me? Like why? And then it dawned on me because I had been asking. Like I'm not a religious person, but I still i don't know i feel like it's like a higher some sort of higher power and i just kind of like said into the world like you know give me a challenge like give me something to yeah fucking challenge me like i feel like my life's been so good when is it going to come around where i actually have to work hard for something and and then it dawned on me that like oh dude that's what your lyme disease is man that's that you like literally you're dealing with it like that's the big deal and and i like that, that that whole day was like an epiphany for me and you know, I was like, I teared up and I was thankful. I was like trying to be thankful for my Lyme disease. You know, it's crazy of a, uh, mm. a a way to frame that might be. But but yeah, I've always like looked at those challenges as it's kind of like Jocko Willink would say. It's like, oh, something bad happened to you? Good. D- like it's something to work on. Deal with it. Like you guys have had injuries. Yeah, they might suck, but they change. They they like might make you look at things in a diff- different way. where now you maybe you have more motivation. Maybe you are attacking things with more precision. Like it can be a good thing. And so it's that reframing. Absolutely. So I don't know if that answers we your question. We can take it back to the about.
0: training. No, it does. And I could ask, I could just talk to you about that for hours, but I think we should move on.
2: Uh, Brock, you want know, uh, to carry Can I ask one question forward? before we do? Always. Mm. One one question I had for Kirk is, if you had Lyme disease, because maybe this is good for people to hear about, it's like, what did you do besides all the, you know, the voodoo, the voodoo stuff? What was that voodoo stuff?
0: Uh, well, this was actually after I got into the voodoo stuff, we'll call it, but I caught my Lyme disease like two or back. And we were talking, we were buddies then, um, late and,
1: I and you're like, I'm not talking about it yet. Cause I don't know, but yeah, I'm fairly certain I have limes and you were, you got to it.
0: Yeah. But it took me, you know, 18 miserable workouts. And I was like, I haven't felt good in months. And then. I actually did an uphill workout with Adam Buck, who we've had on this podcast. He's a trail builder. And no shame to Adam. He's a fantastic runner. But in every sense of the word, I should have been schooling him in this. And he left me on the the second repeat. And I was like, this isn't right. Like, I can't even, you know. And so then I started looking. But, no, I went through uh, rounds of doxycycline. I think I was on it for a month um, to start. And then, you know... <sighs> I just always been health conscious. So I've been watching, you know, I think the inflammation thing I've kept a pretty tight eye on, but I go in cycles. I actually still think there's it's in me. Cause I'll have about once a month. I'll be like, I just don't feel well for no reason. I think the, the sister cycling, so to speak, which is really voodoo for people listening. But like, I don't think I've kicked this thing at all yet. I think it's just being managed in some capacity. But even that round kicked it down, and then I was a human again at least, right? And so I still have my days, but it's like almost like once a month where I'm like for a week. I should have a bad week, and then I kind of come out of it. So I think I'm still dealing with a cycle of it, you know?
2: Yeah, dude. Can you relate to that at all? For sure. I mean, yeah, yeah, they say they say never really leaves your up. body because the spirochetes do such a good job at hiding, like hiding within your cells. Um, I don't know what's actually, like, objectively Damn. happening, but they use they use the term hiding. They like disguise themselves, and so the immune cells can't appropriately attack them, and so they kind of always exist. But you can do these things to kind of keep them, kind of keep them at bay. And so that's actually been a kind of a struggle with me in training, is because I don't know about you guys. Um, but you know, some of us have really fast metabolisms that we just can't eat enough and I can't eat enough like protein and fat. I got to eat lots of simple carbs when I'm training a lot. And guess what? Those simple carbs, I feel like contribute to inflammation and, uh, and kind of feed those spirochetes. So mm. I kind of, it's almost like I'm choosing, okay, Josh, do you want to have a clear mind this month or do you want to, or do you want to have like mm. as much training volume as possible? <laughs>
1: Sucks. <laughs>
2: for <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> yeah. But like, that is what it is. what it is.
0: Right. There's some truth to that. I think for me now it's like, I just ride it out. Like you can feel something. I guess I don't feel that good. And then you have like three bad workouts in a row and I'm now it's just like when it happens, it comes on as mysteriously as it goes away sometimes. And then suddenly I'm like, I just feel better this week. and I have no idea why. And then it will be like, I feel good for three weeks. And then it's just, it's cyclical that way. But it is true. I think the more dense I eat, the worse I feel like in life, but my workouts will go well. Generally, if I'm not feeling great in my shoes, walking around day to day, like I feel foggy or I feel out of it. Um, if I'm not eating super clean, my workouts are going great, but I don't feel great in life. And if I clean my nutrition up and I'm tighter with it, I will feel much better in life and be like, I'm gonna go kill my workout, and then I get a mile in, and I'm like, I got nothing today. It's very interesting. They don't often go hand in hand
2: with me. Got you. Yeah, I feel you on the struggles, though. Sometimes it's hard to know what the heck's happening. It's like, well, yeah, I guess that's my life. I mean, keep grinding it though. So once a (laughs) month, our challenge, man.
1: You have one week every month (laughs) when you're off (laughs) and you're fatigued.
0: (laughs) It's your male menstrual. (laughs) It's just a glimpse into the life. It really is. We all have our things. Bracken, what's yours? Come on. What happens to you once a month?
1: Uh, I get injured, apparently. Give us some ammo. Since 30. (laughs) Once a month. There you (laughs) go. I tweak something.
0: (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Uh, Okay, should we get on to Josh's training and his philosophies? Do we want to move on? Yeah, so I want to hear two things. And they probably overlap.
1: Just to start. One six-year approach to getting this 23-mile, 8,000-foot, if I'm correct, 8,500 feet FKT. What did the training progression look like to come to fruition on that? And what did that do for what you do now as an athlete and as a
2: coach? So I realized that it was probably going to take some time for me to get that FKT. I didn't know if it was going to be two years. I didn't know four years, six years. Can I stop again already? Sure. When you say you
1: don't know how long it would take, what was the limiting factor or was it more than one? Like, did you know I have the downhill capabilities, but I can't sustain, but I'm bleeding time uphill or like what, where were you lacking the most that made you think this is long-term?
2: Okay. At this point. Yeah. At this point I really don't have. So when I started, I didn't know where I stood at all. I had I don't even think I was on Strava yet. I didn't know about leaderboards. I had no comparison of me to these other people. I didn't know where to find splits. I had no idea how fast I was, dude. So I had no idea where I stood. And so I couldn't, I didn't have a starting point to look from, you know? So I, at first I thought I could have it next year, you know? Yeah. How hard could it be? But after you actually get going on the thing and I started, uh, I started running, I realized, Oh, I'm actually, yeah, I have a, a lot of work to do. I didn't, I didn't know if I was very fast on downhills. I wasn't running with anybody either. I didn't have anybody to run with, you know? So I just had zero comparison. All I knew was I need to I need to go to work. I need to work consistently. I need to see some sort of progress. So that was probably a blessing was for me to have so, start putting in so much work, focusing on myself. I wasn't looking at races. I wasn't looking at uh, splits. I knew the whole, I knew like this time, but I also wasn't rushing. I was like, I, one day I will have that. Right now I just need to get better than I am. So that's probably the best mindset everybody could have, you know, for long-term growth. So they don't like shoot their load too early and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, get hurt or just have a bad mindset. So uh, yeah, I just, I just got to work, man. You know, I would already been doing hypertrophy stuff. I knew I had a little bit of background, uh, with athletics from BMX. Like that'll carry over for sure. I've been on the trail. I know I can spend long days out. I was, you know, slow. You're piking it. Like, two and a half miles an hour, maybe with a 70 pound pack, uh, not fast. I'm like, all right, I can go. So I just, I started to look at like, what do I suck at? Well, I'm not fast. Um, I had run some five K's before and I was like, Oh, okay. 19, 19, 18, 5k all right, well, I mean, marathoners are running like, you know, 15s within a marathon. So I should probably look at how they're running. So I started watching YouTube and watching, uh, I think Kipchoge was already on the scene or maybe I was watching like Bekele and, uh, uh Mofara and just like literally watching how these guys run, which by the way, is hilarious because our bodies are so different, but I took watching some principles Mofara from that. It's depressing, and, you know, <laughs> cause that doesn't work <laughs> for humans. <laughs> yeah i mean their arms and like how tucked their elbows are and how their hands Mm -hmm. are so high like the mechanics are totally different but i tried to take some principles from it you know i was like okay the forward lean uh how their foot strikes the ground and uh and like the heel lift and all of these things i it i started uh, applying that into my running and like filming it to watch and try and make all these comparisons uh so so yeah i mean how did I, how did I work towards like in this six year thing? It was just like, Mm -hmm. all right, let's get strong. Let's get fast. I, what's nice is the, so that primal health coaching cert that I had gotten, there was also a primal endurance book, which isn't exactly, you know, it's not a not uh Arthur Lidyard, but it was still decent stuff. It was basically run it math. That's how math got on my radar. Mm. Right. So 180 minus age. Is it perfect? No. But is it probably a good spot for most people? Yeah, decent. You know, it's some sort of structure. So it was basically run at math all the time, do sprints once or twice a week, and uh lift some heavy shit. So that was uh those were like the primal blueprint rules. It's it's move around a lot at a slow pace, it's sprint once in a while, lift heavy shit, get sunlight, eat plants and animals uh play use your brain avoid stupid mistakes like all these really simple bullet points to hit that i was following in uh in my mid and late 20s which really they were really good they were really simple and actually i think that for anyone looking to just be kind of generally as healthy as possible and not be like a pro athlete get the book uh, primal endurance or primal blueprint because it's, it's like it's a good blueprint it's pretty solid uh but yeah i just ended up getting stronger and then and then i found lydiard and then i found jack daniels and then i found the uphill athlete and that's when things just got more and more and more refined mm. so again like serendipity coincidences all these things kind of lined up perfectly where it's like i did the bmx i did the long hiking i kind of like set a foundation without really knowing it i uh, started building more strength and doing a lot of math like aerobic work and sprints right i wasn't doing any quote-unquote quality i was working on all these fundamental components opponents and then reading books telling me that oh josh you were working on all the fundamentals the whole time nice now let's start doing some threshold now ooh, look at the z4 that looks fun let's start experimenting with that and then you know we started having playing with more puzzle pieces and trying to put this thing together and then starting to uh, move more in the direction of oh i'm not so much a health coach anymore i want to train people for like actually athletics and endurance
0: mm-hmm.
2: and so that's been that's basically been the the fun journey for the past four years coaching people and like playing with these puzzle pieces more both myself and with other people. My favorite
1: reply to hear when I ask someone what their training style or system or beliefs are is a progression. One of my biggest red flags is someone's like, I'm a blank guy. Cause I always think, Oh man, for how long have you been and what came before? And what, what's what was this lead when someone's a system coach I always get a little bit on edge. Like you can be a great system coach, no doubt. But how did you find that system? Rather than like there is one way and one way only, and this is, that answer always gets me a little anxious. So when I hear someone say, "I started with this," I just did math for two years or whatever, and then I found like that's how you should. That's how like continuing education should work. Like you 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 did the endurance version of primary, elementary, secondary. That's how it should go.
2: <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I was wondering when you said systems, were you talking about like, Oh, I'm a threshold guy or whatnot. Or oh, are you gotcha, talking gotcha. like, uh, like, like someone's working with Lydia or does someone right. adhere to a certain style? Like, Oh yeah. I use the Jack Daniels principles or the Lydia principles mm-hmm. or, uh, or, yeah, or, you know, whoever are, yeah. Uh, yeah people kind of adhere to those or mm-hmm. there's all, or yeah. Are you talking about like, Oh, I just do threshold work.
1: I guess kind of both. Anyone who has an ironclad answer that doesn't, Immediately like start thinking about, but also, and I think if you probably could just like, those are, to me are the good coaches, the great coaches. So like, for example, a Lydiard guy, would he ever say, you know, you could probably get away with is just get a primal endurance book. That would get you a lot. No, like I am this and everything has to fit through the Lydiard template if it doesn't mm. fit through there, I have no use for it in endurance. And so every time we talk with someone, I always have this little breath like, "Oh good. They've tried a bunch of stuff." That's refreshing, even if you discard it all. Like I'm I'm happy when coaches have tried a million approaches.
2: Yeah, so that's interesting. And I'm actually curious about you guys and how things have changed for you since you've done, you know, you have that track background you have those uh yeah those those like collegiate school endurance backgrounds because i i started out with mostly strength in the gym and like i said i blow my calves up running 12 miles because my minimalist shoes so running was kind of hard to get to get into but all the basically would be at math but i was uh, i had pretty good success in 2018 when i really started getting into spartan running 35 miles a week at math one set of sprints. What was th- I, was, I wasn't doing threshold then. I wasn't doing Z4 work then. It was hard work in the gym, some strength circuits, powerful explosive movements, and 35 miles a week of running. So it was so heavily weighted on strength. Uh, maybe that was great for the durability with the downhill. And the running was just enough to have some economy. But then... I make the switch, and uh, and you know I was training DJ kind of in this fashion as well because he had a, a powerlifting background. We did a lot of strength work with very little running early on, and now him and I are both trying to do as much running volume as possible. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've done this with other people too, and to be totally honest with you, it's I don't think it's that much better. I just think it's different, and yeah. so figuring out what does somebody enjoy, what where are their weak points because like. I, I think, and uh, I think a lot of people come to me who are already strong. They see like I'm one of the beefier dudes. Like Kirk, I don't know if you feel that too. You're like, we got the beef. People see oh, the yeah. beef, and so like we draw in the beef. And <laughs> and how do you work? And how do you work with that? How do you work beef with that? You know? Do you do you, it, dude, the is magnetic? Man, it's gravitational mass. Do you keep working with the strength? Do you push them more into the running? It's uh, it's. It, it, I've thought about this where it's like when something works, do you? Do you move on? You're like, oh, okay, well, that worked. And I think I need to do this on top of it. I think sometimes that is, it seems to be a really big mistake to drop the thing that worked, thinking that the thing you're replacing it with is the next step. Mm -hmm. We talked about this on here before
1: that it's like, it's a recipe and you don't add an ingredient and kick the previous one out of the bowl. You might have to change the percentage, but like we are who we are because of what we've done. And it's not always 100% for sure exactly why which one of these things that we did caused this, but the surest way to get it wrong is don't do what you used to do. Like if I'm success, I, I just had a conversation with a pretty high level athlete this morning. Well, I'm not coaching. I'm just consulting. And the conversation re- revolved around, I got to hear doing this. What do I need to do now? And I think that's like the biggest thing is how much are you really confident in getting rid of what you did to get you to a really high level knowing that something else is out there. That's going to take you potentially to the next level. And that's like, dude, that's the magic of sport, but it's,
2: it's tough. It is tough, man. And I love that. Like the layer cake analogy, you know, you don't get rid of an ingredient or get rid of a layer. You like you want to stack them because yeah, you will lose something. I I've read, you know, I've read books on, oh my God, but yeah, we got to talk about like muscular endurance. Uh, That's one of these things that I have seen so much success with it, with everyone that I've given it to, like regardless of their age, regardless of what they're doing. But one of the, like one of the cool things about it is, and I think that this is probably true to a degree with a lot of other things, depending they're not um, like with skill-based, you need to have more frequency and you'll lose a skill a lot quicker than something like your aerobic capacity. Right. Um, But like the muscular endurance, you can, you can build it up for say 12 weeks and you're going to hold on to that for several weeks. At least that's what the that's what the Russians were thinking is like for when they're doing blocks for their olympians, they'll do they would do muscular endurance for say like 12 weeks and then they could felt like they could drop it comfortably for 12 weeks without losing all that stuff. And they would swap it out, you know, it's like say you drop out the muscular endurance for uh, something a little more sport specific, maybe you know if you're a mountain runner you're doing like bounds. And in a sense that is kind of muscular endurance, mm-hmm. but So what was the
1: piece prior to that? You're talking like weighted step-ups or lunges, progressing to bounds, progressing to uphill running.
2: Right. Yeah. Or I love weighted, uh, stair mill. It's also one of those things where it's Mm. like, what, what thing do you enjoy more? I think the outcomes are pretty similar with the exception of, you know, if you're doing lunges, you're getting a little bit more range of motion in the hips. Right. But as far as like strain on the, like the quadriceps, it's pretty, it's pretty similar. So, but, but the fact that like, They're saying you can swap out some ingredients for like a little bit a while, but it could be dangerous, but it also has to
1: stay in the same lane,
2: you know, they're not shifting lane one to five. They're going one to two. Ooh, I got you. All right. So let's, let's use that cake analogy and let's say they're not taking flour out of the mix. You need the flour, but they're swapping out like bleached white flour for like uh, uh almond flour it's still Ooh. it's still the ingredient It's like kind of there but it's just like it's been tweaked a little differently so making yeah. sure you're not getting rid of these components entirely making sure like it can change but are you hitting you know you guys talk about systems it's like are you kind of still hitting the same system because if you mm-hmm. drop if you drop a system like if you drop if you drop like uh your power output in your training well, you're probably going to lose some power, you know? So you should probably always have something max power in there. It might change what that looks like, but you know, is it like flat sprints or, or bounds or maybe even like plyometrics, but you got to have some sort of max springy thing in there.
1: I found muscular two, endurance. Two things. Oh, go,
0: go Kirk. Go.
1: I'm next.
2: Well, t-
0: two, two things. Um, One, just talking about like the layer analogy. Um, I could not agree more. The tricky thing and Bracken and I've talked about this on this podcast in past episodes, but like, That's why throwing too much stimulus at different stimulus at the wall at the same time and seeing what sticks, you don't really have a good objective analysis of what's happening. And the problem is if you do all the things and that's what got your success, you feel like you need to continue to do all the things and it becomes overwhelming. What thing was the thing that helped you progress, right? And so really the best thing you can do is stick to the simplest form of training until you stop progressing and then add the next thing in. And do that until you stop progressing and do the next thing. Because if you have a 20 layer cake, that's impossible to sustain, so to speak, in my opinion. So like just speaking on that a little bit, I think I think that's the dangerous territory is people will do too many things. They can't fit them all in or find out logistically how it works. So then they just get rid of layers, right? They get rid of layers and replace them with absolutely new ones, and people get themselves trapped. And that's why like yeah, I'm going to have you barbell squat because it's the basics, it's works, and it's sustainable, right? We're going to do our X and Y and Z. So just like my own sentiment, I know Bracken shares this too, is like simplifying your layers so you can keep them all in and, and squeeze every ounce you can out of those layers before you add the next, right? Because otherwise you trap yourself early and you get super confused. Just wanted to like preach a little bit there. Do you guys agree with that? I assume yes. there's some of that in there, Joshua. I, 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 and I think then. I'm Joshua. I... <laughs> Yeah. Joshua. And then the second thing is you keep saying strength endurance and I just want to know what that means to you. What are you implying when you say strength endurance? What does that look like specifically? What are you, what are you alluding to specifically when you say strength endurance? Ah,
2: okay. So, uh, the movement, this is, uh, yeah, all that. Okay, well, I'll tell you the exercises, and then I don't know if you're also uh, talking about like what's happening, like within the muscle. Like, what is what is the stimulus? What is the well, Let's is start there. Sure.
1: Let's start with muscular know. endurance
0: so, 101. on one
2: Light nuts. All right. So, so like the concept of muscular endurance, right? So, or strength endurance. Let's say like local muscular endurance is your strength output over like a duration of time strength obviously is how much force can you produce right it's not necessarily the rate of force production not power but how much like how much can you squat well that's how strong you are well how many reps can you do that's moving on the spectrum more towards endurance so strength endurance is working in this ground where it's you are recruiting a large number of motor units a large uh, uh percentage of your muscle fibers and you are endurance training them because if you don't if they're not engaged, you're not really going to train them. And Bracken, you've uh, we both read the article with Marius Bracken with threshold training, and that's the whole mm-hmm. thing with, behind threshold training. It's they're kind of doing a form of muscular endurance. It's a little bit, it's it a little bit different. But I think them. it kind of, yeah. You mm-hmm. if you run too slow, yeah, you're building your capillaries. You're you know you're building some uh, some some strength cardiovascularly. But you're not engaging a lot of muscle fibers. And so you're not really endurance training those muscle fibers directly, right? Mm -hmm. In a kind of roundabout way with the capillaries and blood flow. You're going to improve nutrient delivery and that can kind of perfuse through the muscle. But you need to run faster or do something to engage more muscle fiber. And so strength endurance, you are engaging a larger pool of motor units, muscle fibers, and hold and like and exhausting them, right? So that they gain endurance qualities. So that's the simplest that's that's what it is. It's just you m- produce more power or more strength over a longer period of time. That means you can take bigger or uh, stronger steps going uphill without fatiguing. you know now your your one minute pace becomes your several minute pace because you can hold on to that output because all of those muscle fibers have now been more endurance trained. so that's the goal that's the outcome we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's a satisfactory answer on muscular endurance? Yeah. As far as what we're like for. Okay. okay. All right. I like to. And then I, as far I, as I think there's yeah, just, yeah, then okay. the what specific
1: yes. continue, continue.
0: No, I'm yeah, just, so. I, I think that to piggyback, that's just the, what, what specifically like, tell us what exactly would be an example, workout or gym movement or hill. Like, what are you talking about? Cause you're going to get an argument probably from some people like, well, that could be hypertrophy training. <sighs>
2: heaven forbid
0: (laughs) i do that i'm an endurance athlete i could just see that being i have i don't know where you're going but i could see that being a rebuttal so i'm just curious
2: yeah there are there are some interesting discussions that i think could be had about what's happening uh say you're say you're doing five by ten uh you're gonna do five rounds 10 reps of lunges on each leg Okay. So that's a hundred lunges. And say so you're going to do that RPE nine. It's going to be hard. Okay. Now you could say that that's hypertrophy work, but it's in the functioning muscle because depending on our sport. So, you know, I'm leaning more towards mountain athletes. Typically we are going to do well with a little bit more mass in our quads than say a road runner road runners have a little bit more, but you know, a little more glute. There's more extension that we're looking at instead of more, uh, you know, our hip extension instead of knee extension. So maybe that's not a bad thing. A little bit of muscle mass leading to, uh, leading to better outputs. That could end up actually being a good thing. And also, if you're not eating enough, if you're an endurance athlete and you're doing so much training, you might not even be eating enough to actually uh, put on a large amount of muscle mass. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't call it hypertrophy. It's functional. Okay. I'm not too worried about, <laughs> I'm not too worried about that stuff. Okay. The, but with that, uh, that's kind of the rep range we're working with. Something like lunch. I am, you can do just this as a side
0: day. note, this is, This is a personal curiosity. I had two, I put a number of my athletes in the off season on what I called strength endurance. And I actually put on five working sets of 10 reps. I have it literally that exact same scheme. And I got two athletes that said, why are we hypertrophy training right now? And I said, when you have those back-to-back mountain races in two in June, one in July, three in August, We need to put some money in the bank this way, babe, because there's not going to be room for it then. It's going to take away from from your racing. And so now is the time to build up that strength endurance. Anyways, it's very top of mind for me and then a few of my athletes who asked about it.
2: Yeah. And by the way, if we're talking about, cause hypertrophy, ultimately we're, we're kind of pointing at like a certain amount of load for a certain duration, right? We're talking about, you know, 40, like, like 30 to 60 seconds, uh, with kind of minimal rest, just like a lot of metabolic overload, large amount of sheer forces on the muscle fibers. What's different? Like, what if you go sprint up a hill, 15 seconds and then down a hill, 15 seconds as hard as possible. Would you call that hypertrophy training? No, it's just, you know, so it's like, what's, and to me, there's not a huge difference there, right? We're just working for, we're look, trying to get a certain amount of like effort, certain output and a certain duration of time so that you can maintain that sort of output, right? Because if we make things last too long, then you're not gonna be able to put out a lot of amount of force. So fitness the, the endurance is like a security guard. Like you're in
1: line, he comes up, he's like, stop, what are you doing? You're like hypertrophy training. He's like, not here. You're like muscle recruitment. He's like, all right, you can pass. You
0: know, like, <laughs> we are so
1: <laughs> bound by labels so true like, what's your intent skill work nope speed work only well it's a new runner aerobic running is skill all right bro get moving i like it's the label dude, that's so good often just closes <laughs> us off to what could also be happening on the side here
2: very true dude that's so good that's so good man um yes. yeah so So the gym stuff's cool. Uh, What we were trying to point out here is like, what are the different ways muscular units can look like? There's a gym-based one. We look at, typically we're going, and I also love following Alec Blennis for this stuff because he has a lot of things to say about this. And as far as specificity goes and what are we actually looking to do? But I do like the more specific movements like lunges, Bulgarian split squats, the step-ups, the things that actually kind of look like running uphill. Uh, I do prescribe squats and deadlifts and kettlebell swings, things that don't really look like running, but we're getting some powerful, uh, hip extension, you know, working some of the big muscle groups and getting a lot of stress on like the nervous system. Also, uh, my girlfriend was just reading an article. She's in, she's, uh, in this realm of, uh, business as well. How, uh, you know, for like bone density, we get, can get bone density in our legs with running with the downhill running, right? You're eating enough, blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, spinal, you got to get something heavy on your shoulders. It's really important that everyone gets something really heavy on their shoulders. So, you know, just like for spine health and also, you know, your core and all that jazz. But in the gym, the the lunges, I think, you know, split, uh, unilateral movements, those are great. Then the other way is I like stairmill. Some people love that. We get super sweaty, put on a heavy pack, hurt your shoulders, and that's moving a little bit closer to sport specificity. It's not the load isn't necessarily the same per rep because you're taking so many more steps, but it is, it's a little more focused, like in that quarter single squat, which is really interesting. And people have had a lot of success with that. A lot of my athletes have really done really well with that feeling strong going uphill. And you'll usually do that for like 60 minutes steady state or like four times 15 minute or four times 12 minutes on three minutes easy, you know, the heavy pack. And then there's running. And this is like the Marius Brocken thing. This is the Norwegian method. This is the threshold training, which is we're not doing uh we're not doing lunges this isn't like quad specific it's not uphill specific work but it is still kind of muscular endurance training and it's actually it's fun because i've talked to like rich about this and the idea of like strength running like a strength run right Mm -hmm. you're just running a certain level rep at like a hard hard pace you know maybe you're running uh maybe you're like like a tempo a tempo you're you're kind of building strength like yes it's it's metabolic there's metabolic things happening but you're also like working your muscles to a high level of output, you know? So it's kind of these middle grounds. So there's a lot of ways to kind of do this thing, you know, whether you want to use uh you know, I know Bracken, you got a million analogies for it, but I like the fire analogy. You know, if you want to build a fire, you need some, some, some logs, and you just got to space them out properly so that the oxygen can get through and the flames can actually exist. You know, so who cares if you make a, a TP or you stack them like a log cabin, there's different ways to make a fire. You just need the wood you just need to like have the spark and stack them in a somewhat intelligent way. I'm stealing that different ways that you can stack it.
1: I'm stealing that. You can have two (laughs) logs in your week, 10 feet apart, or you can have a million little ones, two inches apart. doesn't matter. The fire is going to start either way, but how do you space them? You got to let the oxygen in. I like that. There you go. Genius. I'm also editing this part out and taking the analogy. So no one else has heard it from you. (laughs) The beautiful thing I believe about muscular endurance work, strength endurance for ultra runners particularly or OCR hybrid is that it functions in the same way that long runs or arduous mountain work does without impact. And so like part of the big reason people cramp or bomb out in ultras is you get to a state of depletion. You've just not been to, and you have to recruit muscle fibers that you don't get to as much. And the only way to get there is to be extremely fatigued or work extremely intensely. And most ultra runners don't work extremely intensely. And so you won't recruit the vast majority of your muscle fibers, but in a race, you're going to get to the point where they're so dead. You have to pull from somewhere else and you cramp. This is the work. They can get you so supremely fatigued that you build up cramp resistance and just stay in power, but you don't have to run six hours, like 10 times in your training block to get this. You could do this every single week or two to three times a week if you weren't doing much intensity and you get the benefits of hyper long days on feet. And I think that like OCR taught me this and injury taught me
2: this, but the ultra world, I think you are part of the people that are teaching it there strength is becoming more of a thing in the ultra world people are definitely like realizing oh but yeah being strong can, can kind of help i feel like you're seeing some like slightly bigger guys out mm-hmm. there uh, maybe not you know maybe not first place but they're podiuming you know they're they're top five they're out there so yeah i think like the whole durability piece again there's certain uh you know certain ways many ways to skinny cat many ways to build a fire mm-hmm. you there's a lot of different ways that you can show up you know whether you want to be like really strong uh, in the gym or just run like 40 hours of zone one every week. And yo, this is what's so it's, and I, I'm sure you guys have the same problem where you see all the different ways there are to do a thing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can get the paralysis by analysis. It's like, Oh my God, man. Okay. John Albin is doing, uh, he's only doing 60 miles a week and it's like all zone two, you know, or even like quote unquote gray zone. And then Jack Kenzel, who's beating like Killian's records out there, he's doing 40 hours a week of zone one just zone just zone one you know with like one bounding workout a week
1: it's it's tough because and everyone sees it the athletes like i identify with that athlete i think i'm a 40 hour a week zone one or i identify with whoever but the tricky part is that these humans are all supremely gifted and oftentimes the best thing they can do is get out of their own way like if they're happy and healthy they're going to win you know there there are some people that have to get it right I don't think John Albin's a guy who has to get it right to win. He has to get work in and stay healthy because he's been winning since he came off of his roller skates. He just <laughs> is super talented and he's really gritty on course, but I think he's had three different training styles since I've known him. And he's been a world champ on all three. Mm. And so like we yeah, see that's, someone is like, this is the way it makes a ton of sense. Then I read Marius Bakken's and I'm like, this makes so much sense for hybrid and I think ultra too, but it also makes a lot of sense for OCR. And then I turn to this and it's like, but math is still like, if you do it right, ah, you know, it's what, what athlete needs what it's, it's, it's a puzzle and that's the fun thing. But yeah, paralysis by analysis.
2: Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I appreciate uh, you back and breeding like, uh, uh, triathlon stuff because yeah. I've I listened to triathlon podcasts like how they train which is now PTO they changed the name of it like somewhat recently but yeah there's lots to learn from triathletes with the stuff that they're doing and like how they can do more hard volume because of the different modalities that they're doing they're uh,
1: so far above yeah. the running world I think with their science that it's not even close
2: yeah the thing that annoys me with how good they all are is cross country skiers nordic skiers blow my mind and it makes all the sense in the world because they're using all four limbs just like that amount of oxygen consumption, even at even at like a lower uh, mechanical output because they're using mm-hmm. it like, spread over four limbs. Like they're still using a higher amount of oxygen and it's just, it's brilliant. Also, I Those think there's the something people. to- They're using all uh-huh. four
0: limbs on all planes of movement. It's even different than like a rower who's using everything, but it's in a controlled That's environment. Movement. They're in 360 degrees planes of movement, which is just like, have you guys cross country skied? I know Brad can try and he is terrible at it, but oh <laughs> Not athlete, you ski. have to put have have in the mental ski. effort and suddenly, uh, yeah, skate skiing, Holy smokes. It, it's the the biathletes
1: that just have me convinced that engine's engine. You need the skill of running. You need the durability of running. But engine just because they come over and they crush mountain races. They come over and they sweep Mount Marathon podium just like as they're off season. It's just unless it's flat ground metronome running. There's just so many ways to get fit.
2: Yeah, dude, I really want to see um I really want to see Rylan go do some some like ultra right now cuz I know he's been doing a lot of air bike, a lot of shorter interval stuff and he's smashing the, you know, the sub 1 hour stuff right now, right? Lots of super low impact, really high output work. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how that applies to the ultra stuff, you know. He's a freak. He's gifted, for sure. But he does but- work. Do he's gifted and he's doing work, man. I want to get to I
0: want to get to the good stuff here. Not that none of this has <laughs> this has all been good, but the good stuff is in uh, tangibles, which I started, We started to get to with like the strength, endurance. Um, and I have like oh, ten to fifteen minutes tops right now, and I feel like we're just opening the book, unfortunately. So, um, you get an athlete who wants to become a better ultra runner. They got six months until their next ultra they've been running okay mileage or they've been running and they haven't been doing much else. Right. I run and I run and I want to do my first or maybe it's, they've done many ultras. Like it's so hard to just blanket statement this. And I know it's an unfair question, but some of your principles now that you sort of believe in, right? Like what would you take that athlete knowing you have half a year, they have a running background. They put some miles on their feet. Right. So they've proven that they're capable of. What would you like, what would you ideally do? no injury history. Let's just say you got somebody that can is ready for whatever you throw at them. What would be some of your first steps as their coach?
2: Yeah. If they've had zero injury, um, I would number the thing that's unquestionable is they're going to get some form of muscular endurance, whether it's gym based uh, like the lunges, you know, heavy lunges, or it's going to be weighted stair mill. Even if the course is like relatively flat, I mean, there's just something that it does for the strength in the hips, the knees, the ankles, just all of that load going through your legs into the ground it's they're going to end up having a good result there t- in terms so of right um, away adrenaline. strength
0: work goes in um question For about sure. that too then um uh you've never once mentioned an upper body movement what oh yeah i mean we haven't, about yeah it. i guess
2: we haven't <laughs> yeah i mean we haven't talked about you know grip strength or anything like that oh it's all there you know i feel like we kind of just jumped okay. right into uh legs and whatnot oh yeah baby there's we there's did all upper body we got to talk about <laughs> but you would involve so, upper uh, body work in
0: there is what i'm asking like you would not just be like all right we're going to treat you like a tree trunk you know, from the hips down and we'll just let you be a little waif above the waist. I don't think it's going to no, work. Dude, that way. You'd be, every, be,
2: okay. Everybody is hanging from a bar. Everybody is doing a push, a pull, lots of core work. Okay. Um, I'm actually really big on the core work. Everyone two to three times a week is going to do this core work where they're going to have a, uh, what I refer to as like a positional movement. Where, so or I guess movement doesn't really make sense, but a positional uh, piece where they're going to do uh, an isometric, like a hollow hold or a plank, something where we're getting the hips kind of locked into a position kind of, or you know a dead bug kind of keeping the hips locked in a position right and then i'll have them do something that is really dynamic i want some sort of like twisting motion so that's either going to be a uh lateral jump chop which is something that i created i am watched super, you do, do that like It's an ice skater with a med ball, dude. It's bananas. It's awesome. Cause it like lots of torque through the core and also like some vertical movement and getting through the hip. So it kind of feels like that skater motion, but with the heavy ball and holding it out, it really torques at the core. So (laughs) torque, I, so so something twisting and then, (laughs) and then something for the back. So that's either going to end up being like some sort of arch body or a, or a three point where you're holding up an arm, just something a little bit for the spinal erectors. You know, we hit that doing other compound movements. Basically if you have a bar on your back, you're getting the spinal erectors, but, but yeah, I definitely have people doing lots of core. You know, we want twisting, we want spinning and we want something uh, positional. That's kind of like isometrically locking their hips in a nice position. I'm sure we've all uh, seen, Uh, without limits, Prefontaine movie, you know, where uh, where the coaches
1: deepest penetration,
2: penetration man, you got it, man, dude, that's the cue. Yeah. You got to bring those hips up. Let that knee drive get high. You know what we're talking about? I, so yeah, there's core there. Everyone, if they can't do pull-ups, they're going to dead hang, you know, they're going to do some sort of dead hang or Australian pull-up, uh, uh, Rose, right. Bring that elbow back. I always, I, I look at, and I get uh, criticized for this a bit. I look at running and the movements within it. And I try to emphasize effort in those, in those planes of motion. So, you know, uh, I mean, a push up. you know, you got your knee drive or sorry, your, uh, your hand drive coming forward. You have your elbow driving back. I mean, that's a, you know, that's a row in a sense. And, uh, ooh, bird dog rows. Super good, man. Love those. Uh, cause your lat and your glute, you know, they're kind of like working together at the same time, but yeah. So everyone's gonna do core right off the bat. Everyone's gonna be doing a hang pull. Uh, push that is in line with their ability wherever they're at and they're going to do muscular endurance and then as far as the running piece goes if they have I'll have them do both an aerobic threshold test and a lactate threshold test and if they're healthy they're going to do both of those you know no problem if they have a running background I'll probably have them go for a full 60 minutes on a treadmill having them do depending on the uh, race goal or the, the goal race what that looks like it's probably going to be 5% or 15% if it's a steep race do what we're doing 60 minutes at 15%. Let's hammer. You know, low impact, high output. Let's get that heart rate. And then I'll see if they're uh, aerobic threshold. And I'll just kind of do a math test for that. I'll just see, you know, five miles. Let's see where your heart rate is at an easy effort. How close is that to your lactate threshold? If they're within 10%, this is using the uphill athlete rules. If they're within 10%, then I'll have them do more zone one just because they're going to be moving at a pace that's a high mechanical output. And I don't want them to get injured. So I want more volume. Um, so I don't want them to run too fast because we've all seen people that are running aerobically, you know, easy runs like six minute mile. That's mechanical stress. You know, if you're, if you're a 100 pound Ethiopian, maybe it's not a big deal, but like for some of those bigger guys, it's a lot of impact. So, uh, so yeah, increase their, their volume. And if there's a huge gap between their aerobic threshold and lactate threshold, they're going to be doing math all day, baby. I
1: like that. So people are going to hear a lot of stuff. A lot of terms, percentages, the, the the importance of the gap in size between aerobic threshold and lactate threshold. You're changing how they're how they're training. Which I think is very key and very important. Will you break it down at elementary school level for everyone listening? Why it's important to go low intensity if you have a tiny gap. And higher intensity easy run, like that gray area almost, aerobic threshold work all the time if your gap is enormous between your aerobic threshold and your lactate threshold.
2: So so if someone is, if their heart rate gets very high when they're running at a relatively slow pace, something that is seen when you are running at a higher heart rate is more uh, uh, glucose consumption. You're going to use more sugar, more your glycogen, more your sugar. So you're more likely to be operating you're closer to like an anaerobic you're gonna burn more glucose anaerobically so you're not actually doing a wonderful job at building your uh, your aerobic system your fatty acid oxidation so a big component of endurance is with fuel uh management people that are running for a long time they can utilize a higher percentage of fat with their Uh, at their higher paces, and so they don't run out of glucose as quickly. When you run out of glucose more quickly, your pace ends up having to slow. So one of the big benefits of running slow or at a lower heart rate rather is it's more likely that you are burning more fat, which also turns out is less stressful on your mitochondria. You might end up building more mitochondria, which is the powerhouse of the cell, right? That's that's a moneymaker right there. We want as many mitochondria as possible. So you want to run at a pace that is conducive to building the most mitochondria as possible with the least amount of stress because you want to be able to run a lot. So when uh, and if you are running very fast at a low heart rate, then you want to be careful not to spend too much time there because you're running so fast. Even though it feels easy cardiovascularly, it is a lot of stress on your body, mechanically speaking. And so that can add up over time and wear you down, which is why when people are at a higher level of fitness and they can run really fast at a low heart rate, they'll typically reduce the pace that they are running at for a lot of their volume. So they can continue to build, they'll still still build mitochondria. You'll still build uh, capillaries and a little bit of economy running at a slower pace. And we need that, but then they'll, to make sure they do get the dosages of the, you know, more muscle fiber recruitment and dealing with mitochondrial, uh, uh, metabolic stress, they'll insert higher intensities with that. So let's see, where should we go from there?
1: Uh, I I'm struggling cause Kirk's got to go in a minute or two and I want to make a whole episode on this, <laughs> because Golly. I, think well, this I think this is worth really really a whole stuff, episode
0: actually. What'd you say? <laughs> Well, how
1: about I told you, second date this, the ukulele,
0: baby? He said he wants to play us a song.
1: Oh, second date. Yeah, we need a second date. <laughs> That's what it comes down to.
0: Well, well, it depends how generous you're feeling with your time because it, this would be a fun topic to actually like be like, okay, forget Josh and who he is. We found that out last episode. Now let's just nerd out for 90 plus minutes because that would be a lot of fun, wouldn't it? Uh, how about this, Bracken? How about. I feel like we just like scratched the surface. I feel like there's so much we could talk about because your wealth of knowledge. And I think we could riff really nicely and teach some people some things. But yeah, time. So why don't we do this? Let's let's tb let's let's tb see this. Tb continue this. But I think you got to tell the people what the heck you have coming up this year and what your plans are. You know, I feel like we're taking you out at the knees here with all of this, and I'm sorry, but what the heck do you got on your own radar? Let's let people know. <laughs>
2: Yeah, dude. Yeah, there's so much to talk about. Um, so I am, I'm super stoked. I uh, had a really great year of training this year, by far the biggest year of training that I've, that I've ever had, volume for everything. And uh, right now, I've just been kind of chilling, trying to get my ducks in a row. It looks like Tough Mudder Saudi Arabia is on the menu, boys.
0: Mm. Get some oil money. What an event, they dude! Get
2: that oil money, baby. It's uh, it's looking pretty exciting. I mean, look at how many people are are going. I mean, are we going to see uh, Virement and Atkins? Is John Alvin going to go? Is you know is Battress going to go? It's, it's it all could be a very said very yes,
1: except Alvin.
2: I saw you saw his story where he was like, "Oh, what's going to be my first race of the year? Western States UTMB." Mm-hmm. He put Alula. On he there, did so. put. Yep, yeah, he did. He did, man, and the money's mm. good. So I don't know if the North. Hey, this is, is a do, like, side tangent a John, dirty. about
0: money. So I in about money. One of my Chinese athletes uh, sent this to me today, and they came out with their Chinese national series, and the payouts are unbelievable overseas. They're paying out in all of their nat. They have five series races, I believe. They're paying out sprint, super beast, and ultra beast in all of these events. Right? The sprint is worth roughly a U.S. thousand dollars. Each event that gets longer is worth more. It's like six thousand, whatever you make in China for the sprint it's 15,000 for the ultra and it's just tiered like 15, 12, nine, six for the distances for all five series races. The beast is equivalent of almost like 2,500 bucks or ultra beast or three grand per race. And they pay out five prestige they pay out five in each event. <laughs>
2: Let's go.
0: What on earth is going on over in China? We don't have even close to that. I'll, I can share it with you if you want. But anyway,s okay. I just found that out today, and it blew my money. Yeah. Talk about money! I th- I'm thinking of moving. Bracken, we can make a second career as athletes. We could go to China, run all the are races and all five race
1: weekends. Naturalized citizens.
2: Kirk, you know. should. Anyways, do don't mean to Saudi distract, Arabia. But- Unbelievable. Kirk, <laughs> you should do Saudi Arabia. Or are we you just been doing the some ultra. Run- strong guy. You get like. going to help me run
0: 14:59 in the 5K. That's fair.
2: When is it? February 24th. All right. So Saudi Arabia,
0: what,
1: what else? The,
2: the same,
1: walk? very Spartan, the same day as the North American National Series kicks off. Is it? Which means if you want to do well in Jacksonville, I mean, this is your, if you want to make a National Series podium or North American Series, this is everyone's chance right here. <laughs> Atkins is gone. veerman has gone. Goddet's probably gone. botchers is gone. I'm not there.
2: No big deal. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Re- yes. Re- is gone. <laughs> I never was. <laughs> uh, uh, Saudi That's Arabia. Smart. And, dude, I'm so excited. I'm doing Broken Arrow. I finally signed up for Broken Good. Arrow. Good. Nice. Yeah. I had my trigger finger ready when they opened awesome. that up and got into the 46K. My girl's doing the VK, which I'm almost more excited to see her do the VK uh, than I am for the 46K nice but yeah those are the only things that are certain right now there's some there's some local races in durango uh that actually dude there's a cause remember our boy hunter used to live in durango he and has some, uh, together did Yasko?
1: they Sick, roomed a together for a, a summer like can you imagine that parent an
2: interesting group the two beautiful blondies one skinny as a twig the other absolutely yoked nasty anyways name. uh hunter has stew what a group what a crew so hunter has a bunch of times like on different segments and different races around there so i'm just chasing after his i took his Halflin, which Good. is like the local Take pill test piece smoked it bro smoked him and I uh, and there's a course that i want to get his record on they do it clockwise or counterclockwise depending on the year and it's typically like three minutes faster one way i was two minutes behind him this last year on the other way so i'm like i basically beat him but i'll go make it official next year that's kind of a big pass run and then I want to hear the announcement for WTM. Is there going to be? Is there going to be money? How are things going to look mm. on course? Because if it's not tasty, I'm going to go. I want Lars Arneson it's Grand Canyon. I've been thinking about that for years, and it just hasn't lined up. And I'm only getting fitter. I'm in advance,
1: offering unasked my services for pacing any bit of that you want for the Grand Canyon. Yeah, way back in the day, Yatsko and I prepped all winter for his attack on it. Before Lars, this was like 2013, he was going to go after, he was living down there, training That's with before the Cowboys Jones. and then he hurt his Achilles or something. We didn't go after it, but I prepped and did the work to be a pacer. So I am yours.
2: If you want me sick, I would accept that'd be beautiful. But two things, one, it's so sunny down there that your head would probably ball. you know, uh, blind me. Oh, and two, Lars, Lars did it unsupported. Oh, so did. the supported record Walmsley has it like five fifty something. Lars has unsupported six thirty eight, okay. I wanna say.
1: Then I will know. So we gotta stop in our own water,
2: carry our own snacks. But thank you. Okay. Thanks, but no thanks. All right, all right, guys. So that's the calendar. I wanted to ask you guys so many questions too, but yeah. Kirk, Next time. You gotta go hunt or something?
0: <laughs> no, I gotta go back to the gym. Um, I missed the first half of the week cause I was sick. So I'm trying to squeeze in a few extra clients. I'm back on the right side of the ground today. Um, I appreciate your hustle. Kirk, before you go, ask oh, me yeah. if I have any race plans in the future. Mm-hmm. Back and do you have any race plans in the future?
1: I'm racing an indoor track meet Saturday.
0: Let's go. What distance? It's like, it was going to be
1: something like an ultra grand Canyon or an indoor 800. And I chose indoor 800. <laughs> <laughs> so I to talk about this on spikes. training
0: Tuesday. Uh, all right, oh I'm cutting us off. And then, Damn. hey, and man, Josh, if you're uh, if you, if you are willing to come back on, like, actually in shorter order instead of pushing it off, if we could maybe we could lock you up again, and we could we could just nerd out for a bit, that'd be awesome. So
2: now nah, we'll wait a couple more years. No, a couple weeks, a few weeks, yeah, whatever, guys. Hit me up. We get done sooner. I'm traveling out to Colorado right. next week, and then should be pretty settled in January. Excellent. Sweet. Thanks, man. All right, guys. I appreciate it so much, guys. Yeah.